So my daughter just asked me, is it going to be as long a sermon as normally on Sunday? And it's, it's not. I just have a, a few just thoughts by way of, of reflection tonight as we think about the birth of Jesus. You know, this is why we've gathered this evening is to really think about the birth of this child some 2,000 years ago. And I find it interesting that as we think about reflecting upon someone's birth, we hardly do this with anyone else. I mean, we don't, we don't reflect upon the birth of George Washington. We don't reflect upon the birth of Christopher Columbus or Martin Luther or Genghis Khan or many. I mean, you just think about famous people and what do you know about their birth? Very little. The closest I thought was to maybe Abraham Lincoln we do. I'm just thinking about him being born and being raised in this small log cabin in Kentucky someplace and ascending to be president of the United States. Oh, we might reflect upon our own births. We were driving yesterday as a family in the car and discussion uh, drifted towards the births of our children and each of them have their own particular story. Hannah was born less than 15 minutes after entering the hospital. And um, David was born into the hands of a nurse because Yvonne's labor went so quickly. But that's about all there is to tell about our five children. We don't spend much time meditating on the birth of of anyone except, except for Jesus. Because his birth was so remarkable and so miraculous. Now... The thing that made the birth of Jesus miraculous and remarkable is not the fanfare and anticipation. In fact, just the opposite is true. There should have been some fanfare and excitement and joy there. The news should have spread like wildfire in Jerusalem, but really very few knew about what was happening. It's not the way it should have been. As Carol and Jimmy Owens wrote, how should a king come? Even a child knows the answer, of course. In a coach of gold with a pure white horse, in a beautiful city in the prime of the day, and the trumpet should cry, and the crowds make way, and the flags fly high in the morning sun, and the people all cheer for the Sovereign One, and everyone knows that's the way it's done. That's the way a king should come. How should a king come? Even a commoner understands that He should come for His treasures in His houses and lands. And He should dine upon summer and strawberries and milk and sleep upon bedclothes and satin and silk. And high on a hill, His castle should glow with the lights of the city like jewels below. And everyone knows that's the way it's done because that's the way a king should come. But how did the king come? On a star-filled night into Bethlehem rode a weary woman and a wearied man. And the only sound in the cobblestone street was the shuffle and ring of the donkey's feet. And a king lay hid in a virgin's womb, and there were no crowds to see him come. And at last in a barn, in a manger of hay, he came and God incarnate lay. The birth of Jesus should have been celebrated the world over when he came. The Savior of the world came to earth, but few seemed to take notice And know that it was not an accident that a few took notice that day. See, because unlike anyone who ever lived, Jesus 
had the opportunity to choose how he would be born, where he'd be born, when he would be born. Because when Jesus came to earth, he chose the manner of his birth because he prophesied years before Isaiah 7:14, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. God knew that he would be born of a virgin. It's the only way it could be. But not just any virgin. When it came to Jesus came to earth, he chose his mother. Unlike anyone else who ever lived. When the angel visited Mary to tell her the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that she'd conceive and bear a son, do you remember the words that the angel said to Mary? He said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. Uh, apparently, there was something in Mary that God said, that will be my mother when I come to earth. Don't think that the angels just visited any woman. No, Mary was hand-selected. She was one was clothed with humility. You can read her Magnificat in Luke chapter 1 to see that. When Jesus came to earth, He chose the place. Long before He came, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Which it's, it's interesting because Bethlehem's a... A humble little city that Micah says it's too little to be numbered among the clans of Judah. It's like he wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in this obscure little little town. Some off the way place. Jesus chose the time when he would come to earth. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 read, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And when Jesus came... It was because the time was ripe. He chose the day of his birth, which probably wasn't December 25th, but it's the day we celebrate it, and it's appropriate for us to do so. The circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus were no accident because it's the story that Jesus wrote for himself. It's a worthy exercise, therefore, to meditate upon the circumstances surrounding his birth because they were written and directed by the Lord. When it came time for Mary to give birth to Jesus, there was no room for them in the inn. So they made their way to where the animals were. I believe that God knew fully that that's where he would be born. When Jesus was born, he was laid in a feeding trough filled with saliva from cows or goats. Dirty and messy, maybe some leftover kernels of things just covered over with hay, probably to make it nice and was placed there. And few understood what took place that night. Many inside the inn were resting. No idea what was taking place. That the King of Glory had been born in a barn. In the 1500s, Peter Bruegel painted a marvelous painting entitled The Numbering of Bethlehem. The Numbering of Bethlehem. And I think I've got a slide of that. I hope i got a slide of that. There it is. Maybe some of you are familiar with this, um, with this painting. Snow-covered village, lots of people outside, various activities. Right, we see the kids over here skating and, and playing about. One's on a sled. Some look like they have some kind of stick. There's a there's a wagon up there, sort of in the middle, that looks like it's broken down and maybe being repaired. We see people kind of walking in all different directions. We we see these people over here bearing burdens on their back. I don't know what kind of beast that is. It looks like a a woolly mammoth or something there in the 
in the pond. I don't know. It's strange. We see some chickens here. I, I think this is a, a pig down over here. These mobs of people here, mobs of people over there, just, just kind of going out. And, and unless you've seen this painting before, I think one of the things you've missed is, is right here. We see a woman on a donkey being led by a man. And of course, if this painting is entitled The Numbering at Bethlehem, the mob is being numbered for the census and on the donkey is Mary and pulling the donkey is Joseph. Nothing attractive about them. Unless you knew this painting was about them, you would never really know that they were in the picture. But that is a, a great representation of what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Just obscure, just happening. Mary and Joseph come in because many of those who traveled to Bethlehem to be registered saw that night like any other. I'm sure it was a day they had to uh, register, but they registered and then they went to their, their inn and they slept that night. They had no idea that God came to earth that day. In fact, it took an angelic appearance appearing to the shepherds to tell them, hey, come and see Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared... With the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is, is pleased. Now, the strange thing isn't that the, that the angels appeared to the shepherds. The strange thing is that the angels didn't appear to all of Bethlehem and didn't appear to all of Jerusalem and to all of Israel, focusing their attention upon this baby being born. Instead, this grand announcement comes just to a few humble shepherds in the field. Jesus was born of an obscure woman in an obscure town. Very little attention given to mother or child. And you can imagine all the folks who, who lived in Bethlehem. They just went back to their homes, went to bed, passed the day. You can imagine those who were staying in the inn that night, sleeping in their beds, oblivious to what was happening. Indeed, it was a silent night. Because very few knew what was happening that night. It was a, a holy night. Our Savior was born that night. The significance, though, of the, the birth of Jesus is that it, it set a trajectory for his life because the, the manner in which Jesus was born is very much the manner of the way he lived and the manner of the way he died. In Philippians 2, verse 8, we've been going through Philippians, our exposition, Sunday mornings. We've come to this verse, which I'll open up for us on Sunday. Philippians 2, verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The process of Jesus becoming a man was a very humbling process. The process of him being born in the way he was born was a humbling process. But also the way he lived was a humbling process as well. He, he lived a life of relative obscurity. He lived in humility. He lived in this little town of Nazareth. It wasn't a 
a big town in Galilee. It was a, a town kind of off the beaten way. Isaiah 53 rightly describes his life. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Just as the birth brought little attention to Jesus, so also his life brought little attention to him as well. Oh, oh there were times when the angels came and announced the shepherds. It's like, this is really what's happening. And there were times when the disciples got to see the glory of Jesus, like on the Mount of Transfiguration, got to see firsthand all his miracles. But that was in his ministry. And even his ministry, in some sense, was in obscurity. Because he lived a life of, of humility. He didn't seek to draw so much attention to himself. He lived also a life of obedience, which those two things go hand in hand oftentimes. The obedient life is often the humble life, the life that's not put in righteousness on display. But one of the ways that Jesus was obedient was that he went to the cross. Not an easy thing to do. In the garden, Jesus prayed, My Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. His flesh, Jesus didn't want to die like none of us want to die. But his not life was one of humility. And so he said, yet not as I will, but as you will. Submitting himself completely to the Father's will. And of course, God's will was that he be crucified. He be nailed to a cross. Now often, we can think about crucifixion. It's like some unique thing that happened to Jesus and Jesus alone. But that was not the case at all. You remember when Jesus was crucified, there was a thief on his right and a thief on his left. Crucifixion is what the Romans had not invented, but they had perfected to mercilessly treat criminals to the maximum physical pain that they possibly could experience on their way to death. And crucifixion was common in those days. And I'm sure that as Jesus was hanging on the cross at Calvary, that hill just outside the city gates, there were probably people from Jerusalem walking to and fro, being able to see Mount Calvary from a distance and just saying, more criminals being crucified today and passed on. I think many in Rome, many in Jerusalem missed the crucifixion of Jesus. He died a common, a common death that many criminals die, but he was no criminal. He was the son of God who lived a perfect life. And that's why this evening, as we come to reflect upon his birth, we can see his death in many ways was extraordinary, just like his life was. Many missed his birth. I believe many missed his death. They just saw him dying there upon the cross. Now, after he died, of course, there was the darkness that came. That would have got people's attention. There were people who raised from the tomb. That would have caught people's attention. And certainly then the miracles that took place in the early church with the, the tongues poured out at Pentecost and the, the other miracles done in the, in the temple in various areas by the apostles, that caught people's attention. The people were willing to die to follow this Jesus. But many missed his death. But did you know that his death will be spoken about through all eternity? Seen in Revelation chapter 5 is all of heaven around the throne beholding the slain lamb, the lamb with wounds in his body, the crucified Jesus. And forever in heaven, we will remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain. And you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Notice in heaven, they're referring to the crucifixion of Jesus People may have seen it here upon the earth as a small thing. But it was a huge thing that will forever be 
out. And people may see the birth of Jesus as a small thing, obscure, but it, it's something that we still are thinking about 2,000 years later. And Jesus didn't merely die for Jewish people. It was all tongues and all tribes and all peoples and all nations. His death was for all who believe. And Jesus calls for us to believe in him. That most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, came from the lips of Jesus himself when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we've come this morning to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Yes, the world practically missed his birth. It was a humble birth. There are many ways, though, this world today has missed his death. There are many who don't believe in Jesus. There are many who don't trust in Jesus. You say, what does it mean to believe and trust in Jesus? It means to completely put your whole life on him. It says, he is your trust for your own righteousness, standing before the Lord, not your own. It means day by day, learning from Him and loving Him. It means trusting Him in the hard pains of life. My call to you this evening is, just as we've come to reflect upon the birth of Jesus, is to believe in the death of Jesus. Believe that His death upon the cross was for your sins. That you might know eternal life and might be able to see and reflect and rejoice in the the slain lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Because, my dear friends, if you fail to trust in Jesus, you're still dead in your sins. His birth was humble, but it was extraordinary. His death was as a criminal, but it was extraordinary as well. It was sufficient to pay for my sins and for yours if you but believe. So let us believe in Him and let us worship Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would give us hearts and minds to worship the Lord Jesus. This isn't another mere man like Ben Franklin or Ronald Reagan or some other great American hero. God, this is God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to give His life a ransom for many. He he was born a humble birth. He died a, a humble death. Not setting the matter straight when people were mocking Him upon the cross, but entrusting Himself to You who judge righteously. And I pray likewise, O Lord, that we would entrust ourselves to You who judge rightly. I pray for the souls in this room here even tonight who haven't believed in Jesus. Perhaps there's some children. Perhaps there's some grandparents. Lord, I pray that all of us would would turn to Christ and love Him and serve Him and trust in Him. He, O Lord, is worthy of all of our praise. And we offer this up as a worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen.